Please remain standing, if you would. Our scripture this morning comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Tim is coming to read our scripture for us. Tim, you might grab that microphone on that side. I think we're having a bit of problems with this microphone over here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O God, our Redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Purity has become in vogue over the last few years. I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you've noticed that people are looking for things that are pure. We're looking for pure protein. We're looking for pure water. We're looking for pure medications or especially natural medications. Uh, this understanding of, of purity is something that our culture seems to be obsessed with. There is Pure Insurance. Just hear, hear some of these names of, of these companies. There's Pure Insurance. There is Pure Encapsulations Nutrition Supplements. There is Pure Bioscience. There is the Pure Project. That's a craft brewery using the pure, purest ingredients in San Diego, California. Primarily Pure Skin Care. There is the Pure App. It's known as the best hookup app on the internet. Even things that we would consider impure are trying to use that, that concept of pure. We want things that are pure, but, but this, this beatitude, these words of Jesus, make us wince just a bit. Purity. That harkens back to the days when puritanical Christianity dominated, when people were more concerned about the clothes that you wore or if you played cards or if you went to dances or even if you went to movies, they were more concerned about that than anything else. So our culture, our culture winces really at the, at the thought of religious purity. Purity is, is scoffed at in today's society. Condescending smiles or even outright scorn are often the responses to purity nowadays. In generations before, purity may have been ignored as it is today, but at least in generations before, it was seen as a virtue. Not so today. In our if-it-feels-good-do-it culture, purity as seen is seen as irrelevant. It's seen as a hyper-religious activity used by religious radicals to control their followers. But the fact remains, Jesus blessed the pure. Today we're continuing our sermon series dealing and examining the, examining the first words of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, the largest uh, the largest section of Jesus' teachings that we have anywhere in Scripture. And he begins this, this grand sermon with these incredible, incredible countercultural statements. 
statements like blessed are, are, are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful. It seems as though Jesus is blessing everything that his culture was cursing. Because in that culture, they would have thought, cursed are those who are not wealthy in spirit. Cursed are, are those who are not joyful. Cursed are those who are not proud. Cursed are those who have not already experienced righteousness fully. Cursed are those who, who um, well, who do not keep the old law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You see, they, they, these folks that Jesus blessed were seem to be cursed in that culture. And I'll be honest, they also seem to be cursed in our culture. But Jesus turns everything around. This sermon is incredibly countercultural. From, from the very opening words of the Beatitudes throughout the entire sermon, it is countercultural. Because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom of God is anything, the kingdom of God is not of this world. And so it is countercultural. It is counter to our culture. And no doubt, no doubt, this beatitude today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is counter. This runs counter to our culture. Again, our, our culture ignores purity. Our culture scoffs at purity. Our culture believes that, again, purity is just the, the activities of, of the hyper-religious in order to keep their followers in check and in line. But as we examine this, this beatitude a bit more closely, I think that these are incredibly powerful words of Jesus. So so we're going to look we're going to look precisely at what Jesus is actually saying. Blessed are the pure. Now, we've already looked at that word blessed, blessed, it's meant as joyful or happy or even touched by God. These are these are people in God's kingdom. These are the kinds of people that God has blessed with his presence. These are the kind of people who are experiencing true joy. These are the kinds of people that are absolutely touched by the Lord. Blessed are the pure. The word the Greek word for pure is katharos. The Greek word for pure is katharos. This, this Greek word was used in three different ways in ancient, uh, in ancient Greek. First, it was used to describe soiled clothing that had been washed. Now, we know how to wash clothes, or well, some of us know how to wash clothes. Uh, others of us rely upon our spouses to wash our clothes for us, but we know, we know how it goes. Uh, we, we throw them in the dirty clothes hamper, and then our spouse magically makes them disappear and puts them into the, into the washing machine, and then uh, they put them into the dryer, and uh, somehow, magically, or at least this is how it happens at my, in my house, magically they appear in my drawer and my dressers and hanging up in my closet. I'm, I'm not sure how all of that works, um, 
there is some work involved, no doubt, on someone's behalf, normally not mine. I'm not very good at that. But in the olden days, during Jesus' time, they would have known exactly what it took to be able to wash soiled clothes. It would have taken them likely going to a river. They may have used water from a well, but more than likely, probably not, because it would have, it would have been very difficult to have gotten water up from a well, clean water, carried all the way to the house in that very arid climate, more than likely they would have gone to a stream or a river. And they would have, uh, they would have had some sort of, uh, some sort of soap or probably some sort of plant material that they would have spread on that soiled part of the clothing. They would have gotten it wet and they would have probably taken a rock uh, and that clothing was uh, in between another rock, and they just simply would have scrubbed away at it. They would have scoured that clothing until it became clean. And so that, the word for that, the word for clothing that had been soiled and had now become clean was katharos. The word was also used to describe grain that had been cleaned by winnowing and sifting and was free from chaff meaning that the, the grain had been separated from, from the stalk and from the chaff. And, and again, that takes significant work. Um, even today, it takes significant work. Even today, there is a large, massive machine. I've seen it done literally dozens and dozens of times for wheat to be cleaned. It takes a massive machine, and it's all of these shakers and all of, all of these uh, all, all of these. Uh, uh, machines that, that shake and uh, separate the, the grain from, from the chaff. And that cleaned grain was known as katharos. But then finally, that word was used to describe an army that had been purged of all of its discontented, cowardly, and ineffective soldiers. It was a pure army. It was an army that, that, had, been, that had been thoroughly clean and washed. Now, if the Jews knew about anything, they knew about cleanliness and purity. In the holiness code where you find, uh, you can find the holiness code in Leviticus chapters 17 through 26, in those chapters, you will find Law after law after law, rule after rule after rule, how to keep something clean and how something becomes unclean, especially in the preparation of, of food. Let me share a few of Jewish beliefs that may shed some light on their understanding of purity. And again, remember, this sermon that Jesus is, is preaching is preached to his disciples and the crowd who were all Jewish. And so they would have known exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the pure, for they knew what purity was. There, were some, there are some useful and everyday objects that are particularly susceptible to impurity. These are useful objects made of cloth, of sacking material, of leather, of bone, metal, wood, or earthenware. So all of those things were, were particularly, um, they could become unclean very, very easily. Items like knives and scissors, kettles, cupboards, swords, needles, stools, objects with a receptacle for holding other items, 
objects intended for lying or riding upon, baskets, musical instruments, belts, shoes, jewelry, and cloth garments, or any piece, or any piece of cloth measuring at least hand, three handbreadths square, those things were always in jeopardy of becoming impure. And so you had to keep track of all of those items. Again, clothing items, belts, shoes, anything made of cloth, really, uh, all of your cooking utensils. You had to be very, very, very careful so that they don't become impure. Since all products, however, of the sea are pure, nothing from the sea, however, including things made of bones, of fish, or other sea creatures, or from cloth woven from any product of the sea, none of those things can be impure. Similarly, things made from bones of birds, other than those from the vulture's wing, can, those things cannot become impure. And according to Maimonides, uh, the most influential Torah scholar in the Middle Ages, his expressed opinion was that, uh, that you could make things out of the skin of birds because those things could not become unclean. Objects made of animal feces or stone or unfired clay, they were always pure. Certain wooden things are, were also not susceptible to impurity, such as those that are flat or wooden chests over a specific size. Only objects that had been completed, only objects that had been completely built, had been completely constructed, could, be, could, could become impure, meaning that unfinished objects were always pure. And so you could have an item that had been uh, completed, that had become impure, but the moment it got broken, it was no longer completed, and so it became pure again. Are you getting the, the, are, are you getting the drift here? They understood what it was to be pure and impure. In fact, it was the primary thing that dominated every thought of their day. In Jewish culture, their biggest concern was if something was pure or impure, clean or unclean. There were incredible amount of often complex rules that dominated their lives each and every day. So again, Jesus' followers and the listeners to the Sermon on the Mount, they knew exactly what was, uh, they knew exactly everything about purity. And if you were going to be accepted by God, if you were going to be accepted by God, you had to be pure. No doubt about it. Lest we think this is only an ancient ideology, it's also still around today. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with women that do. It's the mentality today, isn't it? As long as we refrain from some activities, well, then we'll be good. If I'm just good enough, then God is going to accept me. If I'm just good enough, well, then... I mean, I'm, maybe I'm good enough even to go to church. 
I might even be good enough to go to a Sunday school class. Oh, Lord, I might even be good enough to serve on a committee at church, we think. If I obey the rules, we think, I then am accepted by God. But friends, that is the mentality of the Pharisees. And you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus understood that purity is more than about what's on the outside. After they accused him of not being pure when he plucked grain on the Sabbath and later when he healed a man on the Sabbath, you know what he told them? Oh, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He gets to the crux of the matter, doesn't he? For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. For you see, Jesus says here, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Our heart is a very being of, of who we are, our soul, our thoughts, our character. Jesus uses the metaphor of a tree and its, and its fruits a, a bit later in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Luke's version of chapter 6, verse 43 and following. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil stored up out of the evil in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus recognized and he was teaching his followers, you and me, that it's important, no doubt, that we have good actions, but much more important is that we have a pure heart. Is that our hearts are changed. Those things in the heart that make us impure, that make us angry, that, that, that make us to lust, that make us greedy, that make us seek control, that make us jealousy, those are the things in our hearts that, 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 that divide our hearts and impede God's blessings in our lives. When Jesus speaks of a pure heart, he speaks of a heart that has been purged, that has been cleansed so that it is unadulterated and spoiled. And the only way that happens is when Jesus comes and reigns in our hearts. It's the high calling of this beatitude. The high calling of this beatitude is for a pure heart. The pure heart, it's central to our lives. 
And when our hearts are, 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 are reborn and cleansed, then our lives will change. It's not the other way around. Our lives will not and cannot change until our hearts are changed. It's very different than what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us that our behaviors must change. And if our behaviors aren't changed, then we need to be re-educated. And if re-education doesn't work, then we must be canceled. My own conviction. My own conviction is that the fundamental problem in American society and culture is that we attempt to solve human problems while neglecting the centrality of God in the life of the soul. We don't have societal problems. We don't have, um, we don't have behavior problems. We have a heart problem in our world and in our culture. And the only answer to it is Jesus Christ. We can say all we want to about people needing more education. We can say all we want to about people needing to be uh, needing, needing more information. We can, say all, we can say all we want to about how this is bad or this is bad or this is bad. Whatever, whatever cultural thing you want to talk about, the, the, real, the real crux of the matter is that we have a broken heart in this country. A heart that is not turned to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be very frank and very honest, friends. It's not just in our culture and in our country. It's even in our own lives. Amen. We have hearts that need to be purified and cleansed by our Lord Jesus. So what's the, out, what's, what's the outcome of this? Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. Only. Only the pure in heart will see God. I recently, well, a, a number of years, it's been about 10 years ago, I recently got an update to my, um, my prescription glasses. Before then, I, about 10 years ago, it was on a Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. So on a Sunday morning, I was getting ready, to, uh, getting ready to come to church, and I'd been doing some yard work the day before. I had a splinter in my thumb. Uh, and I, I, I was getting ready in the, uh, before Amy even got up, and uh, I could feel that I had a splinter, and so, I, you know, it's before I had any glasses, and so I was looking, and I, I got my finger up real close, and I, I could not just see the splinter. I couldn't hardly see my thumb, even. I had to get it way, way out here, and by the time I got it out there, I couldn't see the splinter. I needed glasses, and when I put on glasses, I was able to see what I discovered is that we, I can, you can only see what you can see. I mean, this sounds really simple, but you can only see what you can see. And some people can only see the worst in every situation. In someone in need, they see a lazy deadbeat. In the elderly, they see a drain on our society. But again, that's not all they see. As William Barclay, the great commentary author, put it, there are people with filthy minds who can see in any situation material for an unwholesome snigger and a soiled jest. In every sphere of life, he says, we see what we are able to see. But the pure in heart are able to see God. 
you wonder why some people can't see God? Because they don't have a pure heart. They haven't allowed Jesus to come into their hearts and to cleanse them and to purify them. But those who have allowed Jesus to come in and wipe it all away, to wipe out the muck and the mire and the stain of sin in our lives, those who have, who have taken that step of faith, oh, they are able to see God. They are able to see God in every situation. They were able to see God in all times, in all situations, and they were able to see God in all of life. It's those who have had a cleansed heart, a pure heart. They see God in the sunrise. They see God in the, in the smile of a, of, a, of a young child. They see, uh, they see God in the laughter of family. They see God in the joy of their jobs. It's those who have had a purified heart. Those who have had the Lord Jesus come and break the power of sin and death. Seeing God, recognizing ministry opportunities, making a Christian difference in a world is a matter of the heart. Our hearts must be purified. And the way that we do that is just simply opening up. This morning I've already talked about a simple faith. I'm a simple guy with a simple faith. We're simply called to trust. To trust that God can do something with our sin-sickened heart. And when God does something with that sin-sickened heart, as He purifies our heart, oh, I promise you, the skies will open up and we will see God himself. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord, we have gathered here together recognizing that we each have a sin-sickened heart. Heart and life that has been corrupted heart and life that is impure. Oh God, we need your spirit to fall upon us afresh and anew to purify our hearts. To come and shine your light of grace into the dark recesses of our hearts. Come Lord Jesus, come and forgive us, come and cleanse us, come and make us whole, come and purify us. Oh God, give us a pure heart that we might see you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.